we're starting a, uh, a four-part series uh, this morning called Just Start Talking. Uh, it's a topical series, uh, and so it's not an exegetical uh, study of the scriptures, but we're going to be working with a, a, a theme, uh, and uh, that's going to flow into our Bible study groups as well. Uh, so if you're not part of a Bible study group, you want to try it out for four weeks, uh, come and see me after the service or one of the staff members, that'd be terrific. Uh, but I'm going to pray, ask for God's help as we come, and uh, we will be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, as we just sang and as we heard from the scriptures, uh, we pray that the world would know uh, that uh, you've sent your son Jesus uh, to seek sinners and to save them. Thank you that you've done that for us. Uh, give us courage to go out into the world now and declare uh, the good news. Uh, we ask for your help as we open up the scriptures over the coming weeks. Be a work by your spirit. Uh, grow us in our love for you and in our love for your son such that we would just start talking. And we pray it in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, who is Ricky Ponting? Oh, it's a tough question, I know, at uh, whatever time it is this morning. He's a cricketer. Is that right? Beth's excited. She's rubbing her hands together. Uh, does Ricky Ponting love cricket? Of course he loves cricket. And he loves other things like golf. He's actually so good at golf he could, could have gone professional. But how do we know that he loves Cricket, and how, did he, how do we know what Ricky Ponting loves? We know because of what comes out of his mouth and because of his actions, but particularly what comes out of his mouth. Our eyes, well, our eyes might be a window into our soul uh, or a lamp to our body, but from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Somebody wise in history said that. Do you remember who said that? I think. Yeah, okay, it was Jesus, of course. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. I can know what you love by what you speak about. And so uh, maybe you know, let me uh, try something. You know Kel Butler? He's a mate of mine of ours from the 930 service. You can know what Kel loves. He loves running. He's 50. He had his 50th last night. It was great. He loves running so much he's willing to run marathons. That's pretty good effort, isn't it? You must really love running if you're going to do that. He loves country music. Pity his children don't. He loves the Cronulla Sharks. He loves sausages from Tenerfield. And he loves his family. That was apparent last night. And he loves Kim. And how do we know that? Well, not just by his words, but also by his actions. And of course, if you're mates with Kel, you'll soon know too that he loves the one we call Jesus, his King and his Saviour. Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And we see the fruit of that in Kel's life. His mates have been turning up to men's dinners. And now they're coming to church with their children. That's awesome. And how did this happen? Well, God's at work in Kel's life. Kel just started talking. But not just about anything, about his faith. 
Now, not everyone finds it easy to talk about their faith and their love for Jesus, and it hasn't always been true for Kel. My mum was a, a sales assistant for many years for David Jones in Parramatta, soft furnishings, if you like. And my mum, if you know my mum, she's shy, she's introverted, she's private, and, and she, at the moment she's only an inch taller than Thomas, my nine-year-old. And one day she returned home from work, uh, she's got off the bus, she's walked through the gate, come into the house, and she's bursting with excitement because it was like a sense of relief had come over her. She'd shared her faith with a workmate, and it was like it was the first time. And of course, as we sat and listened, we ate our dinner, mum's she felt like she mucked it up. Uh, of course, she was anxious about saying the wrong thing, because that's mum. And of course, she was riddled with doubt at about how effective it was. But the excitement and relief that flowed at the dinner table as she shared was infectious. I can still remember it. That's why I'm sharing it with you today. It's interesting because we can know what people love by what comes out of their mouth. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as a teenager, I remember thinking, wow, mum, mum really loves, loves Jesus, that she'd share this uh, and speak of him and that she'd love her friend, her colleague like this. And as Christians, as people who profess to love Jesus, our hope is that we'd be encouraged to speak about our love for Jesus and his work in our lives, that we too would just start talking. Now I want to pause here, because when our minister says just start talking, we need to think about just start talking about what? And so of course it's obvious I'm not talking about the wrong kind of talking. Gossip where we find ourselves at the pub or the club or a morning tea, and the main thing that's served is the shredding of someone's reputation. I'm not talking about that. That'd be silly. Uh, that is wrong, and it's wicked, and we should never partake in the wrong kind of talking. And it's not the kind of talking that emanates from hatred and anger or brokenness and pain or two-faced double talk or meism. This kind of talking is talking naturally about one's love for Jesus. The kind of talking that loves and serves and builds and grows people with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That just as surely as you know that Ricky Ponting loves cricket and he upholds and he honours the game of cricket, doesn't he, by his words and actions, that maybe the same would be said of us as Christians, that we would uphold and honour the gospel in word and action such that all and sundry could have no doubt about who we are and what we believe. We'll see that in our passage today. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12, makes it very clear who we are. Uh, how are we described in verse 4? As you come to him, who's him? Jesus, good. Okay. Uh, I know you're used to getting caught out, but you're right. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to God, 
That was reflected in John 17, wasn't it, that we heard? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We're being described as living stones built into a spiritual house. Uh, These brick walls, these bricks, are they animate? Are they living? No, no, they're not. No, they're not. That's worth observing. Who is anybody here living? <laughs> yeah, you. Oh, you're living. Good, good. The bricks aren't, but you are. That's terrific. And uh, are you spiritual? Absolutely. And on what basis are we living, and are we spiritual? Well, let's have a look again at verse five. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What's the house? You are. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are. On the basis of the living stone, the one who was rejected... So you haven't rejected him, you've embraced him. And on the basis of embracing this Jesus, you are living and you are spiritual. You are a holy priesthood. Did you see that? It's mentioned twice. Who are the priests? I know I'm dressed for it today, but who are the priests? You are. This is called the priesthood of all believers. So next week you're going to come dressed like me, right? (laughs) I know you've heard me say that before, uh, but it's helpful for us to think. It reminds us who our mediator is. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ is our mediator. But it also has to have you thinking about your place in in, in the scheme of things. See, whether we're RCs, Roman Catholics or Anglicans, it seems that we're not using the priest word correctly, the way that the Bible does. All believers in Christ are called here a holy priesthood, which means that if you are holy, that you, if you are in Christ, that you are embrace this living stone, that you're part of this, built, this living spiritual building that Jesus is building, then you are holy. You are his priest. And it's repeated there again in verse 9. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now, why why are we all called priests? Don't hear me say that uh, there's no place for Christian leadership. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, But we want to understand the text here. Remember, this priest language is Old Testament language that Peter uses. He's now using an Old Testament picture to speak of a New Testament truth. Now, does it mean that we should ask, if we're all priests, does it mean that we should ask Jim Hain to bring his best beast out the front and slaughter it? Does it mean that? No. Jim would be willing to give his beast, I think, but not every week, because that would get really expensive. And it would get really messy up the front too, wouldn't it? 
But no, we've moved on from that. And, and okay, if you want to talk beef, there will be beef on Wednesday night at the Bolo, so sign up for that. But what are, but what are we do, to do here as priests? I think Peter is saying that we are his people and we stand between God. We, we stand between God and the rest of the world. And that's kind of what the Old Testament priests did. Didn't they stand between God and everybody else? Well, here Peter uses Old Testament language to remind us that we are God's people, we are his priesthood, and we now stand between God and the world. We are to show the world, not just me, we are to show the world what God is like. We are to speak God's words to them. We, us, Christ's church, his people, living people, spiritual people, we're now the place people can come to and meet God and taste him and experience his warmth and his comfort and his love and his discipline. And they can see what God is like. As we speak God's word, into, into people's lives, God's truth, as we point them to Jesus. We have a mediating function. We're not the mediator, right? Because Jesus is the mediator. I'm not the mediator and you're not. Jesus is ultimately the mediator. But Christ, if Christ lives in us, and through us, of course it follows that others will not be untouched by that. And I think that's Peter's point. I think that's Peter's point. Now, if we are priests, what are our sacrifices that we're to make? What are we to offer to God? What are our spiritual sacrifices? Well, I think we get an answer there in verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Praising God is a spiritual act of worship. And it's a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. And it's a sacrifice because it costs you something. You sang nearly six verses of uh, over a thousand tons. Did that cost you something? Well, of course it did, because you used your voice and you gave your time and your energy. And, and look, you can sing in the shower all you like. You can turn the, the sound up in your car and you can sing all you like. But it's entirely different to sing with other people, isn't it? And that is giving something of yourself. Words that express our love and dependence and our need for a saviour. When we sing, we are giving something of ourselves. In central Australia, I sat in the dust listening to an elderly man singing praises to God. Uh, and it, it sounded like a cat slowly being strangled to death. Uh, it was seriously painful to hear. It hurt my ears, honestly. 
But I do remember thinking at the time, you know, but this guy's singing from his heart. And I'm sure the Lord loves this. It's very difficult to hurt his ears. And it's what I love about our African brothers and sisters who sing with their whole bodies. When they sing praises, there's no straight jacket to be seen when they worship. It's awesome. There's no fear, no reluctance, only whole-bodied freedom. It's beautiful. And so we, as part of our sacrifice, are to declare the praises of him who called us. And so we know this isn't only about song, but it's also the simple declaration of thankfulness. So at this point, a simple application as people who are priests, a simple application might be to ask, well, what are we thankful for? What have we returned thanks to God for in our life? Have we been, and have we been declaring to others our praise of God? So the invitation, as we are invited to just start talking, what, what are others to hear from our lips? Because remember, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, and so the encouragement is we have good news to share. We pray for rain, and I think we've had buckets of it, haven't we? Some would want to still complain about the rain, but the reality is we prayed, and it fell, and it continues to fall. And we should be, instead of grumbling, saying, thank you, Lord. We prayed for surgery for baby Manea, sergeant. Uh, uh, after church last week, I prayed with Philip and Elizabeth and Uncle Pete. And, uh, and then at the 9.30, Grant was there and we prayed again. And uh, I said, Grant, should we pray for surgery tomorrow? And he said, oh, it's... It's, it's, going to, it's a long way off, it might be as far as four weeks. I said, well, it sounds like we need to pray for surgery tomorrow. And of course, surgery happened yesterday. Well, I'll take that as an answer to prayer. And uh, if you're up to speed, I know Elizabeth doesn't mind me sharing, uh, the baby had surgery and the outcome was good and the caddies are praising God. And they're thanking God for you and for your love and for your prayers. See, when it works, it's beautiful, isn't it? We pray for Barry. Uh, he feels like a fraud. I'll take that. That's a great outcome. That's an answer to prayer. And such things should be easy for us to share with others. Of course, it's easy to declare praises here amongst one another. But the encouragement, I think, from 1 Peter is to be doing it out there as well. That this would be part of the light that's shining brightly here, uh, the, the light of Christ shining brightly. But you need to draw, we need to draw out verse 10 because Peter is being a bit more particular about what he is talking about. I've just talked about easy stuff right now. See, what are we actually to praise God for? Verse 10, here are the nuts and bolts. He says, once we were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's point is the gospel. He's saying once I was, we were out of relationship with our maker. He's saying this as a covenant Jew. 
Once I was out of relationship with our maker, but now, once I was lost, wandering in the darkness, but now, this guy was waiting for the Messiah. He says, once there was no mercy, but now, now I am right with him. Now I live in his light. Now he leads the way. Now I have received mercy on account of this living stone, this one we call Jesus. And so now that launches him into praise. And so he's saying, now we should be praising him. These are the things that we should be speaking about. But of course, it's not just words for Peter. It's not just the gospel and the good news. Have a look at verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, ain't that the truth, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So not only is the way we speak to be important, the way we live is crucial. Our words matter enormously, but so does our living and our actions. Peter is saying our lives are to be full, so full of such holiness and God-honouring speech that the surrounding world will glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 12. See, there's lots of debate and discussion about Scott Morrison's faith. Isn't there? Now he's Prime Minister. All of a sudden they seem to care. Is Scott Morrison's faith a private matter? I know you're sitting there thinking, well, I think, it's, I think it is, but Adam's going to stitch me up right now. Especially if you've read verse 12, and especially if you understood the prayer of Jesus in John 17. You might think faith is a private matter, but I want to say to you, that's not the view of the Scriptures. It's much easier when our faith is private, isn't it? But it's not God's plan. You might think your personal godliness is nobody's business. Again, <laughs> that's not God's plan. Peter's writing about it for a church. It's a public document being read out loud. Matters of personal holiness are not just about you. And they're not just good for you or bad for you. It's about our witness to the world. It's about God being glorified. It always was and always is. Matters of speech are not just about you. It's about our witness to the world and God being glorified, being made known and honoured and praised. Uh, this glorifying God that Peter speaks of it's going to happen either because people who once did not know Jesus have come to know him through godly lives of other Christians and so they will glorify God as saved people on that day or Peter might be saying that on that day God will be glorified when the world acknowledges that his ways are seen in the lives of his people are truly right. Take your pick. Either way... God will be glorified in the lives of his people. 
And that is why the way we live is so important. The rest of chapter 2, Peter goes on to describe what it means for Christians to live such good lives among the pagans in our basic relationships, in our submission to governments, our work, our marriage, uh, all of those things. And so you can see that godly lives and godly speech of Christians is a central starting point for any effective Christian outreach in the world. Such that ideally the, the world will look in and see that this Christian stuff works. The world will look in and say, you know, I want some of that. And so the question, the application must be at this point, is this true of us? Is this true of us? When Sophie started kindy, one morning I dropped Sophie at school. Older children congregated around at this little fenced-off area. They're looking into the pen uh, through this cyclone fence. And, and the older kids, they even parted away uh, for Sophie to enter in. And all the bigger kids crowding around. There goes little Sophie to the shaded area, the big shady tree, the security of the kindergarten teacher, and best thing of all was the sandpit, right? And it was like this area reserved for the kindy kids was the promised land. It was a haven and the big kids are looking in and it's like they want a piece of that. I want some of that. And as we think about that, is this true of us? Do people look in and say, oh... That's St Augustine's lot. I want some of that. I'm not talking about a sandpit. We've got one over there if you want to play in it. I'm talking about the priestly thing. Where they'll see the peace and the security and the shelter and the shade that we enjoy that only Jesus offers. That they'll see Jesus at work in us and that they are drawn to us. Because it's Jesus. They'll see people growing in Christ. Speaking of love and forgiveness and mercy. And they'll see it, it works. It works. And they'll glorify God. And they'll say, you know, I want a piece of that. I want that too. I want that for me. I want that for my children. Such that verse 12. Verse 12. That we'll live such good lives amongst those around us in Inverell, that, okay, some might say we've done the wrong thing. Ultimately, they'll see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The praise and glory isn't for us. It's all for God. And so let's just start talking. Amen.